when I say worship to you, you immediately think a Sunday morning or, if I can say it this way, a church experience where you have to come in and there's a group of people standing in front of you that have some songs they're going to sing with words that show up behind them and you're supposed to sing along with them. Is, am I pretty close to what your definition of worship is? But what if, what if we start today's conversation by changing that and saying, and, and by the way, this is my belief. I'm going to throw this out. If you want to believe it, grab onto it. If not, I don't care. I'm going to sleep great tonight. Here it is. I actually think worship happens all around us, both intentionally and intentionally. I would even go as far as saying this, that we as people were created to worship something. And here's how I'm going to prove this. Ready? This is going to sound so crazy for you, but see if you can stay with me. Why is it? That when you look at every culture around the world, even if they're not connected, people sing. Why is it when you look at every culture around the world, even if they're that tribe, that indigenous, that no one had ever discovered before, when you find them, they dance. They didn't have TikTok tell them how to do it. Right? They didn't have a tortilla challenge tell them how to do it. They just did that. Right? Why is it? Ready? Here's, here's, here's one for you. Why is it every nation has a national anthem that they sing? Right? You may just say, gosh, it is so weird. I come to church and they sing songs. Actually, go to Europe, Europe at any one of their football stadiums. They sing the entire time to raise the spirits of the players and the fans. Right? You go at any time. Go, go to a, a, a Sunday morning service where someone's super excited or go to a bar late at night when someone had too much to drink. They're great dancers. Here we go. We're going to it, it, it instinctively comes out of us. So rather than us looking at worship being something we have to do for God, what if we say this? What if God created us for worship? And what is worship? Here's the easiest definition we're going to be able to give you this. Kind of keep, keep in mind, this conversation we're having is four weeks long, right? It's not just today. This is ongoing. Today, we're going to get you to clap. A couple weeks from now, we're going to challenge you to even raise your hands. <gasps> I know, Jesus, come quickly. Like, but here's the thing. Worship, the best definition I can give you, it's giving value or attention to something that you find worth in. Because I promise you right now, if you were to come up and give me a million-dollar diamond, I'm going to give that a lot of worship, a lot of attention, a lot of worth. So the thing that we're going to talk about today is how do you develop a lifestyle of worship that's intentional? Because the fact is you do it already. You give your job worth. You give your family worth. You give your money worth. What we need to always be doing is saying you need to worship your God, not on a Sunday morning because the band strikes up and tells you to, but what does a lifestyle of worship look like? And I would say this. It starts with training. Uh, I've I had the opportunity to be around a lot of police officers, military, and by the way, if you are a first responder or military, we just take a second right now to honor you. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for serving our community. I will not 
defund you, I will support you. And so uh, the, I, I found, it was a conversation I was in a while back with one of the officers that I even called this past week to make sure I had the story right. And they were teaching defensive training. And by the way, you're going to have to have your imagination because I don't have anybody up here with me. So what you would do is in their training time, and I'll try to get camera centered. You're welcome. Camera two, you got my butt. Sorry. Here we go. So they would do this training where someone would pull out a gun. And so this is the aggressor. Then the other guy would take the gun out of his hand to then reposition to then pull the gun on him. And then after they were done with the training, they would reset by handing the gun back. And, and what you find over time, it takes at least seven times of hearing anything before you start getting it whatsoever. But then they would do this exercise over and over. They would take the gun, they would pull the gun, they would reset, hand the gun. What they found over time, though, is in actual events where they had to disarm someone, they knew how to disarm them, they knew how to pull the gun on them, and they instinctively did what? They started to hand the gun back. Because that's what the fluidity of their muscle memory was. So what you practice in your private will be what comes out in your danger. What you practice in your private will be the thing that comes out when you're faced with the situation. And the question is, has your muscle memory gone to actually doing what you're supposed to, or do you just find another way to give into it? And so in the private place today is where I want to talk to you about your worship. Because you won't do it in public if you haven't done it in private. And I know this to be fact because I've been in stressful situations when life started pressing in on someone and it was amazing what came out of their mouth. Creative new F words that I've never seen strung together like that before. Right? <laughs> hey, am I the only one that you've heard it before? Okay, don't act like you're too Christian. We don't cuss around here. <laughs> we do. Okay, I'll say like, like it happens. <laughs> but then I've also been in stressful situation with a kid not breathing, someone choking. And I heard people around me start going, oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus, we call life, we call life. They were pressed and something different came out of them. Because in the private place, what we practice will be the natural fluidity of our muscle memory, if we can say it like that. And so I'm going to tell you a story. You know it very well, and I'm using this story to get to the point quickly. But I'm going to tell you about a guy named David who will be all four weeks of our conversation on worship. But each week, I'm going to have one specific scripture I want you to remember. And this week, it's going to come, out, come to us out of Psalms 89, verse 15. Psalms 89, 15, David writes this, Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you. Not those who have accidentally done it. Not those who have fell into the secret of it. Not one who paid enough money at church where the pastor granted them a magic wish and they received it. You don't buy this, you don't earn this, you learn this. And you learn it how? Through repetition. Easy for you to say. (laughs) Took me three tries. That's what it takes. It takes time and time again to learn how to acclaim you or worship you or find your value higher than any other thing. Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, who walk in the light in the presence of the Lord. 
And so today, here's, if I could set something on the table for you to decide if you want to pick it up or not. Here's what, here's what I'm going to put on the table for you. Are you willing to learn how to worship away from all of us? That's what it kind of boils down to. Are you willing to have a relationship with God and a training with God outside of your Sunday morning exercise? Because the fact is, if the only time you ever worship God is the 20 minutes on a Sunday morning that we provide for you, you can't call yourself a worshiper. Any different than me running to my mailbox, I call myself someone who competes in an Ironman. Wait, I, but I, I started running. Hang on, you might have started running, but there's still swimming, there's still biking. Oh, and by the way, you still have another 26.36 miles to run. Right? It, it takes that. And so what are we going to do in order to train ourselves to be worshipers to God? And this is when I would say it. You have to just start training yourself to be worshipers when you're not with anyone else. I'm sorry. There's no huge secret there. So we have a guy named David, and I'm going to start this week with a very easy uh, sermon that, or story that probably most of you know. And it's because I'm going to ask a few friends to come up in about 10 minutes in order to talk about real life experience of what this looks like. So how many have ever heard of David and Goliath? Right? Okay, of course you have. So if you haven't heard it, here's the story real quick. David and Goliath. There was a guy named David. He was a, he was a small guy, kind of actually, when the prophet came to his family to see who was going to be the next king, this guy was so young and so uh, tiny, dad didn't even call him in when the prophet said, bring all your sons. So by the way, well, let's just go ahead and say this. There were some family issues going on at home. So, but then David came and this prophet said, you're going to be the next king of Israel. So David goes back out to the field watching his sheep. So David was faithful in the little things. David was faithful to watch the sheep. But we come to find out when David was going to go battle this guy named Goliath, the current king Saul said, hey, I'm going to put all my armor on you so you can go out and fight. But the problem was David didn't practice fighting in Saul's armor. David practiced in his own armor. So have you ever been in a situation where people say, hey, this is how you need to worship, and it just doesn't feel right to you at all? Here's why. It's not your armor. I'll give you a hint. Ready for this? I don't need to jump up and down to worship God. I actually don't need to whistle, even though I probably do most Sunday mornings. Truth be told, what I love to do is to get down either on my knees or on my rear end, and I enjoy worshiping like that. But it doesn't mean that you can't be diversified in your battle strategies. But at some point, when it's time for you to go to war, you need to know what your own uh, uh, um, armor is, and you only learn that by the training that you did when no one else is looking. What do I mean by that? So David is out. In his dad's field, after being anointed king, everything is going great for him. And all of a sudden, a bear and a lion decide to come up and take a sheep. And David looked at him, and all he had in his hand was his slingshot. But David went after the lion and the bear, killed them with his own hands, returned the sheep straight, straight on. So David's armor was this slingshot that he had. It wasn't anything else than that. So now you have Saul, who comes to David and says, listen... I'll let you go out and beat this guy. David's saying this armor isn't going to work. David marches out to the battlefield, 
And now he's ready to go one-on-one, mano-a-mano, with this guy named Goliath. And this is where I believe we get some insight into David's thinking on worship. And let me explain it to you. 1 Samuel 17, let's read this together. If you have our app, make sure to open it up there. If you have your Bible, open it up. If not, you can download today's sermon notes. And it said this, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you with a slingshot that I've been practicing back home. Oh, I think you guys are reading the wrong thing because that's what he has to say. Because David didn't come with the shield, David didn't come with the sword, David didn't come with the spear, he came with the slingshot. So let's read it again. You guys read it wrong. Here we go. David said, uh, don't take offense to it. People read wrong all the time in the Bible. I'm just trying to help you see what it actually says. It says, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against, gone it. There's a chance I read it wrong. Give me, but I come against you with the slingshot, because that's what he had. He had a slingshot. He also had some cheese, but he left that with his brothers. Go read it for yourself. It's really weird. Like, you probably shouldn't bring bread to the battlefield. So, but I come against you. Oh, wait a second. This is giving us insight on David's belief system of what it means to go to war when you practice in the secret place. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. This is what I'm coming out to fight with. I'm coming out to fight in the name of the Lord Almighty because there was a time back home when a bear came and I had to go out and truth be told, I can't kill a bear. Can I get an amen? How many in here can go, I can kill a bear with my bare hands? Good luck with that. I'll practice raising you from the dead. Okay, it's not going to happen. Like, and how many would in here go, oh, a lion breaks loose in here? I'll be the one that runs up and tries to stop that line. No, none of us would. We're all going to look for our nine and bust a cap, right? Like, this is what we're going to try to do to fight this guy. Not with our bare hands. Am I going too quick? You staying up with me? Okay, so David is sitting there and goes, I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel. By the way, who have you defied? So the Philistines, you think that this is a battle over ground. I'm letting you know I'm here because you've defied a name in the high places. And my worship isn't here on the ground. My worship is for those high places. And so, Philistines, problem is you've been spouting the wrong worship too long, and I'm here to shut you up. Right? And so, this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. I'm going to strike you down and cut off your head. By the way, David is a prophet. If you don't believe it, read that. Then jump forward just a few verses. David didn't have a sword in his hand. How would he cut off a head? Because he took Goliath. And by the way, as a dude, I just love that part of the story. Like I could see, okay. Goliath had to be so big, David like had to climb up him. Like that's what I think. And he picks up this sword he can barely muster. And he gets it above his head and it drops down. Oh man, I just love that part of the story. So... So this very, I did want to make that noise. Thank you. This very day, I'll give, you, I'll give the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that David is the future king of all of Israel. Man, he didn't write that either. It almost seems that in David's secret place of worship, he had his eyes on the correct prize. Because David could have got up there and said this, hey, dude, the moment I take you out, I'm going to be able to marry the king's daughter. I'm going to get a ton of wealth. And by the way, my family will never have to pay taxes again. He could have said that and been absolutely correct. 
But instead, what he said is, I'm here. Why? So the world will know through my worship what I value the most, that there is a God over Israel. And all those gathered here will know that there, it was not by sword. Oh, wait a second, David, I thought he was coming out with this. Not by sword, not by spear, not by a slingshot, not by, not by a good move at the last second, not by a well-played uh, military advancement. This whole world is going to know that this tiny teenage boy killed a career military man and the reason the world will know it is this. They're going to know that the Lord saves. And the battle is the Lord's. And he's going to give all of you into our hands. This first interaction that we see David having with Goliath, what it shows us is that David understand what his worship was about. And he wasn't out there to receive praises to himself. He wasn't out there to receive accolades unto himself. He was out there to give God glory. And the only way on a public stage that you learn that is because in a private field you develop that. So here's a question I have. How do you develop in a private field? You practice it, absolutely. So here's what I love to do. I'm going to invite Dallas. I'm going to invite Pastor Aaron. And I'm going to invite Cindy. These are three of our worship leaders here at the church. And rather than me just telling you what my experience has been, what I'd love to do is have a conversation with them for the next 10, 15 minutes. What does it practically look like to develop your worship in a private place? And the reason I want to diversify this conversation at this point is for this right here. Is I want to give you options to explore as you develop your worshiping in the secret place. Because if I just came up here and told you my story, you could say, well, that's not me. Go ahead and come on out, guys. That's not me. That's not who I am. But if, if you hear different stories from different narratives, maybe it will help you piece together who you need to be as a worshiper. So, first of all, before we jump into it, is there anything I missed in the opening? I think you nailed it. Anything you guys want to add? Okay, good. Question for you guys. Here's my notes I didn't have to use. I'm so happy. Like, there it is. Yeah. We're so proud of you. Not sure why I'm getting to pop off that, but I'll take it. Okay, worship in the private place. Pastor Aaron, you're sitting here right here closest to me. Let me kind of just throw it out to you. What does that mean? What does that look like? Like if, for you personally? Yeah, for me personally, I would say worship in the private place and how that's developed is, I'm going to challenge you here, outside of Sunday morning. Like, this is a very public, corporate gathering of, of, of followers of Jesus Christ that come to worship. But it should actually be the overflow of what's oh, happening in our lives throughout the week. And so for me, if I could use this word, the routine of my worship started at a very young age. Because it was modeled for me through my parents that you don't just experience worship on a Sunday morning. And I think it's even the danger of just saying, yeah, we worshiped on Sunday morning. Well, we were worshiping all the time. It's just what's going to be the object of our affection and our attention. That's but for true. me, I can go back, and this is the routine. As a, <clears throat> a very well-developed foodie, I used to travel in my mobile tabernacle, i.e. the car, um, and I get my four-piece nugget Happy Meal, small fry, and an orange soda. That's a foodie? 
Yeah. Aspiring foodie. Uh, Yo, okay. aspiring foodie yeah. would be. I would like the mustard of honey. Yeah. The eight-year-old, yeah, the eight-year-old foodie on a budget. Mom and dad's. Congratulations, uh, the McRib is coming back. This is fine dining. <laughs> That's right. It's all in how you frame it. Um, but even doing that and being in the car, as much as I can remember what my order always was, I can remember what my my worship always was because they had the CDs cassette tapes playing and we didn't have YouTube we didn't have mobile so it was whatever was on the cassette tape and sure. if you wanted to wait for your favorite song you either or you just waited and you just sat there in the moment and waited but what I, I saw there was just the unfolding of some of the lines I didn't understand but that's didn't mean I didn't listen Mm -hmm. I allowed my spirit to hear what it needed to hear so that my mind and my body could catch up. And so as a young person, I can stand in the place I do today because of the routine of the past of always allowing what went in makes sense. That's what's going to come out, people. Sure. Um, so what my parents modeled for me is what I kept in my life, my own life. And what I model for my daughter is in where in the morning, like, hey, Alexa, if anybody's phone goes off, I apologize. Hey, Alexa, play worship everywhere. And we got all our echoes that can just fill the house with worship. And you model it there because I don't want for my daughter to experience that this is the only place she can worship. She worships wherever she is at because you said it this yeah. way. Everybody who is created doesn't have to become a worshiper. You were created a worshiper, but where is your worship going? Absolutely. So for me, it was the routine of childhood. It was modeled for me, but then it was practiced and personalized for my journey. Very cool. Cindy, I know your mind's racing. You're a worshiper at heart. Um, I'm, I feel like it's a little, this is an episode of Jehovah Sneaky. <laughs> have you ever heard of that? <laughs> the, the, the fact that you said we're going to have a whole series on worship, like I'm the, I'm the most excited, you know, we're going to have a whole series on the one I love the most. And then we, we you say, I'm going to talk to you guys and you're going to get a question from me and, you know, how do you develop your worship and your private worship? And I'm like, yeah, I got that. Yeah. And then in the middle of the night, I wake up and I'm like, how are you doing on your every day? What, what's been happening oh, wow. on your daily Thing. And I'm like, well, I, ha I feel like I have a ubiquitous worships going on all the time, but he's worthy of so much more. And so I'm going to tell you, if, if I'm this way, I know you all can understand that it just takes purpose. You have to say, I want to do a morning time. I want to do an evening time or maybe both. So I'm going to let you guys know. I would not want to lie to my church family. I read Acts. You don't lie. You don't say you're giving God more than you actually are doing. Was that so, an Ananias and Sapphira reference? Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, fantastic. In yeah. case you don't know. No, no, let's not go there. They but lied anyway. and God threw them in a hole and killed them. So great, very dark, dark reference this morning. Thank you for your honesty. It's not happens. ugly quickly up here. Like, and it's a New Testament reference. I know, exactly. So and if you don't what, worship, you will die. That's what Cindy has. Dallas, no, let's quickly. No, I'm not done. <laughs> She's not done. She actually has the real point to make. Yeah. I just said that because it's so true. That's what happens at 3 o'clock in the morning, those dark exactly. things. Um, the point is, worship in the private, I love that he was trained. It didn't happen in my world. My parents were not training that at home. So I'm, I'm probably like a lot of you. But somewhere early on in my, my walk with God, I was young, and I was young in the Lord. I found out this, we used to have Bibles that were actually books. And I opened mine right in the middle, and I found the most amazing lyrics by somebody that had written, you know, thousands of years before. And I remember the day, and so this is kind of like a first little altar that was built. And I remember the day I was reading, and it says, 
Lead me and teach me, for you are the God who gives me salvation. I have no hope except in you. Mm -hmm. And something in my spirit connected with the great and awesome spirit of God. I was already saved, but there was a new connection because Jesus said the Father is seeking those whom he may have for he's seeking true worshipers those who worship him in spirit and in truth so my recommendation that's how i started i opened up my bible i found it's easy to find i i found psalms and i found the ones that began to speak to my heart and then i because of who i am i just started making up songs and you can this is i look like i never had a mic before <laughs> i've never talked this much um but the that's oh. true <laughs> Former students, all of them. Anyway, um, I'm gesturing too much. But the point, I don't want to take up all your time, but the point is um, that, that that was an altar. And the goal of every altar in your life, whether it's an altar of joy where you're just so grateful, another altar where you're there and you're, just, you're always God's intention. Mm -hmm. I may not have had a system or a plan for developing anything, okay? Yeah. I didn't have a system or a plan, but he did. And so he, he drew me with those words that cut to my heart. I wanted to say that I, that you, I have no hope except, it's such an existential cry. I have no hope except in you. That means you have to interface every facet of your life. It takes time. But I would love to, to say that every, every effort you make to reach out and sing, and he loves your voice. He loves the sound of your voice. As you just make up a song add some, and grab some songs off of YouTube or whatever, but whatever catches your heart, make it an altar. Because the goal, as we'll find out probably as we go through this whole month, the goal is to put more of yourself on that altar and for him to transform and change you more. So, Yeah, that's definitely what we're doing over this month. This is the training. Um, but every step along this week is to actually go deeper. And what does that look like to eventually give your whole so life? I made you? that into a little song. I took that scripture and the practical aspect. I made it into a little song. I only knew a few chords on the guitar at that point. So I played it on the guitar and I can see a kid just sitting there. So I'm so going to, yeah, people. after Dallas answers his, because of what you said, I have a follow-up question that you guys okay. didn't know ahead of time. But I, I love what you just said, because here's the thing, I'm not a musician. So does, this, does that work for non-musicians? So Dallas, let me ask, let you answer yeah. the first question and then I'm gonna throw out something else. Sure, so, uh, so I was actually raised in uh, our church as I was growing up, parents were pastors. We had a very expressive worship church. And so I actually knew how to worship in public. And I was on the worship team and I knew how to quote perform the songs and, I, and everybody's like, he can sing, let's put him up there. You know, that was kind of where it was, was I knew how to go through the rhythms of public worship. And uh, when I was 15-ish, um, I got really sick. Like my, I, uh, I realized later it was anxiety attacks, but I literally couldn't breathe for about six months. And I missed a bunch of school. I was on the couch a lot. I had sleepless nights. I remember watching the moon track across the sky. And I remember getting so angry at God. I was like, I worship you. What's the deal? Like, why are you taking my lungs? Why are you taking my breath? And I remember when it was like, because you actually don't know how to worship me. You know how to perform mm -hmm. for me. And so you, 
And there was this moment with the Lord, and, and I realized what had been happening was, and um, we, just finished the, we just finished the good old stories where we went through all the, the patriarchs and the prophets and things like that in, the, in this series. And there was Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. How many remember those three kind of the patriarchs of the Jewish and Christian faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Je- uh, Jacob? And there was a point with Jacob. He was the third. He was the grandson of Abraham. There was a point where Jacob would say, I'm worshiping the God of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. And there came a point where Jacob had to wrestle with God. Yeah. And he was like, I'm not going to let go until you bless me, until, until I find this place and you change my nature. And God's like, all right, popped his hips and I'm going to change your walk, but I'm also going to change your name. You are now no longer Jacob, you are Israel. And so at that point, he was no longer, Jacob no longer worshiped the God of Abraham and Isaac. He worshiped his God. And what I realized in that dark season of my life when I was 15 going on 16, I had been worshiping the God of Dennis and Patty and Jimmy and Leela. My grandparents are my parents. Mm. I had not found God for myself. And when I finally found that place where I was like, God, I will lay on this couch and I will not have breath until I meet you here. And I literally wrestled it out with him. And in a moment, my breath came back when I found my song for him. And I could always sing, but there was a deeper thing that occurred where it was like, whoa, there's now a connection point with my God and not a, not a relative association with the God of my family. And I think that's an important thing if you're here today and you're thinking, well, I, I worship the God of my church. Or I worship the God of my parents or my grandparents. I worship that God. He wants to come to you and say, hey, I want to find you in the deep, deep place. Like he did with David. David went out into the fields and just tended his father's sheep, but he found his God in those fields. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's where success starts is sometimes it starts in a wrestling, right? Yeah. But ultimately in that wrestling, God will change your nature so that you understand your relationship to him. Yep. So uh, in a couple of minutes, we're going to actually go back into worship because um, we're going to practice what it is we're talking about. That's the whole point of the, the way we're laying out our Sunday mornings. Okay, so guys, seriously, and let's just do this. Let's run the line again. This worked great. Dallas, you'll finish it up. Um, so I'm not a worshiper in the sense that I can't sing. Um, uh, I no. <laughs> no. No, that was, you weren't supposed to help at that point. Oh, I just, no, just, just wait for it. I'll signal you. Okay, no, but here's the thing. I don't have a good voice. Um, Cindy, you talked about you opened up a song, Psalms, saw one set of lines, and developed a song. Just how many, that's not you. You're not going to open up a random book and start making a song in a three-piece chorus out of it. Like, like it, it, it so for the majority of us, we're not musical. We're not musicians. Does that work the same for us? Like what is it, like you're up here with the hindsight of ability. Right? We're lagging indicators of, <laughs> can this happen? So I guess my thought in asking the question is, it's not about the skill, right? Because at some point, I wonder, when we see that David knows how to play the harp, if a dad didn't call him in when a prophet came, do you think the dad actually paid for harp lessons? Personally, if I was writing the story, David's out there, like, practicing so, Aaron, what does it mean for a non-musician? What does it mean? Just, what does it look like practically to practice? Yeah, so you said the, 
the life of David, I love that his legacy is not that he was a harp player. It's not that he was a warrior. It's not that he was king. His legacy that we still say to this day is he was a man after God's own heart. Good point. And that is an attitude, a position, a capacity that each and every one of us can just step into. And so it doesn't necessarily matter on the skill because I would say some of you have probably had more beautiful moments of worship than I have in your private time, than maybe you may ever experience on a Sunday morning. Why? Because there's something about the secret place that cultivates the inward expression of your worship that, like I said, we come back on a Sunday morning. So for me, my life verse is in view of God's mercy. Mm -hmm. I present myself a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing, said unto God, this is my true and proper worship. So let me be transformed by the renewing of my mind. Let me not be patterned after the ways of this world. So what that says to me is it's not my song that I sing. It's not the lyrics that I write. It's the heart and the life that I bring. And so the encouragement to each and every one of you is let's just look at the opening phrase that sets the attitude of the worshiper's heart in view of God's mercy. Can you put yourself in the seat of retrospect And remember throughout your life, where are the places where I have viewed God's mercy as evident, as beautiful, as gracious, as loving, as redeeming? And that is where your worship starts and not a word has been sung. The very fact that our bodies always testify worship because they breathe in the breath that he's given and breathe back to him the life that we bring to the table the worship that we bring to the table. And so that is my encouragement to you this morning that please don't sing. Well, (laughs) let your voice be heard, but more important than that, let your heart be brought to the Father in view of his mercy. So I'll just tack on to that just real fast. I know I'm out of order, but in view of God's mercy, that means that's how I go to my job in view of God's mercy. That's how I deal with my children in view of God's mercy. That's how when my wife is saying the thing that always kind of gets the blood pressure going up a little bit, honey, love you. Give us an example. Okay. I just want to cause a fight at home later. That was the all, like I don't. We're need taking an communion at the end of service, right? So yeah, I can yeah. I can bring my grief to yeah. the altar. Got no, it. keep summarizing. No, Go no, back. So, to but it. in view of God's mercy, when she says the thing, I actually will give you an example. There was a point where um, I did something stupid. Husband, stupid, right? Husbands, amen. Amen. All right, cool. Um, and I was I had so obviously annoyed her that she was like, hey. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you what I think. And you, if you all know my wife, she's a cheerleader. She is not the fire, firing squad. This time, she was the firing squad. And she came at me, and, she was, and I'm sitting there listening to her. And she is, she is ripping me like a coach at halftime when we're behind in the game. And she is, she is going at me, and I'm just listening and listening. And everything in me, like there was this limbic system response that wanted to fight or flight with her. But everything in me, I just waited and waited, and she goes, so what do you have to say about that? What are you thinking right now? And I just stood there, and I said, I'm just asking the Holy Spirit to hear my wife's hurt and not get defensive. Fight over. She goes, oh, my God, I love you. It was so good. Hang on. Can you tell us all that one again? Yeah. We're going to so start this in, out later. When she starts in, you just go, Holy Spirit, let me hear her hurt rather than my own defenses. And it ended the argument because in view of God's mercy, I was wrong. 
And if I can view her in God's mercy and view me in God's mercy and view the relationship, view the, view the struggle with someone at work, view the struggle with someone in your home, view the struggle with someone at your school, that relationship that's like, oh, all you do is cause me friction. If you view that relationship in view of God's mercy, that's a place where you actually put him in his place of worth and it actually equalizes the relationship. That's, that's how you live it out on a non-song yeah. basis. By the way, that's one of my I life can't verses say any too. More than that. That's awesome. Guys. I feel like Cindy should add your life verse. What's one of your life verses? I don't know. Okay. Um, <laughs> Way to be Tons instant in them. season. <laughs> Tons of them. Jesus but. weeps, wept, <laughs> crying. And this is the way it goes. But the the last thing I just want to say is, and what you guys have already said is, it's a posture. Worship is a posture, and if you can maintain, and if that's where you go when the stress comes on, because nothing will focus you more than stress. Mm -hmm. So if that's your, if that's your go-to, the posture of worship, you're God, I'm not, you're worthy, I'll worship you. And as your mother, not your mother, but your mother, Patty Amsden taught us, worship your way through. That's a transforming thing. That's a, awesome. And I will give one more Think, get people around you to mentor you in worship. These guys are full of wisdom. There's so many people that have walked this a long time. Call, call some mentors up and say, how do I worship in a new, and how can I take a posture of worship in my life? Dal, you actually had a good example. You started telling me before at the service. I don't know if you have your phone up here, but you were actually telling me about A chords or something. Okay, so okay, I didn't get it. I'll be honest with you. Yeah, he, was he, he was like, "All I need is the A chord," and I can. I'm like, "Okay." So no, so um, just practically something you can do, uh, because you you might not be able to sit down at a keyboard and just start on a progression and do the thing. Maybe you have What's to progression. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> If you ask that question, <laughs> or you ask the question, what's an A chord? The truth is, there are plenty of resources available to you digitally to worship in your private place, mm -hmm. right? Um, yes, there is the practical, in view of God's mercy, how can I walk into every situation? But if you want to practice the, quote, art of worship, you can put on, you can go on ye old Google machine, and you can type in Bethel, Elevation, I almost yeah. said Maranatha. How great would that have been? 1987, here we come. Yeah. All right. Um, so for those of you who understood Maranatha, there you go. Um, but you can, you can put on albums and you can in your car or you can in your morning time with God. And the truth is, it, you don't even need the words sometimes. Sometimes I sing along with the guys. Sometimes I sing just by myself. And I'm, I'm going to actually just give you all a trick, okay? If you want to sing in the car by yourself and you don't want to be, quote, unquote, led by, uh, you know, an elevation team or whatever... I go into YouTube and I type in worship pad, worship P -P pad, well, P-A-D, like it's just worship pads and I'm just going to, that's it. This goes for an hour. This is key of A, but you can choose any key you want. You can be like, I want key of G today. I want key of C if you're into that sort of thing. Or you can just type in nope. one hour worship pad. Can I borrow your mic actually? So. While that's just going in my car in my morning worship, my wife can tell you she comes into my study area and I'm reading the Bible with this in the background. And I'll do exactly what Cindy did, which is I just have a psalm open or Proverbs. I'll just be like, God, you are good. Simple as that. God, you are good. God, you are good. However your tone is, it doesn't matter. Because you're, as Cindy said, you're taking the posture. And you just get to that place where you're like, 
You're my high tower. I guarantee you, David in the field was like, God, you're my victory. This is how I fight my battles. You know? So that when he stood in front of Goliath, he was just like, this is how I fight my battles. You know, we sing that Crowder song. I will worship you, Lord, only you, Lord. You can choose a song you know. You can choose, open up a psalm. You can turn on these worship keypads, key of A, one hour, and you can just go. You can say, it's just you and me here now, all alone in your car, in tune or out. It's only you and me here now. As Dallas is demonstrating this, I'm just going to invite you to close your eyes. It's just you and me here now. You have a song that's coming up inside. It's only you and me here now. Feel free to sing it. You are my victory. You've made me a warrior. You need to watch it demonstrated. Just watch and listen. I succeed in the public place because I succeed in the secret place. Just take a moment, everybody, and in your own words, just you can tell them, you are good. You are awesome, you are kind, you are lovely, you are wonderful. It's just you and me here now. It's only you and me here now. It's just you and me here now. It's only you and me here now. And I will 